Thank you, Sandy. Invite you to open your Bibles to Galatians, letter of Paul to the Galatian church, chapter 4. I've been teaching through, preaching through the book of Galatians this summer at the chapel, and just to catch you up to date, if you haven't had an opportunity to go back and listen to all those messages before you got here, this is one of those letters where you really sense passion from Paul, you sense concern, you sense even at times borderline anger, because he's concerned for his children. This letter and this passage really speaks of the heart of a parent who is very concerned for their developing children. And so Paul writes to a group of Christians in an area of Galatia, several churches spread through that region, predominantly Gentiles, in other words, they weren't raised Jewish, they had followed false gods, if any god, served themselves, meet Paul, and Paul leads people to Christ, and they, they, they form these churches, and things are going well, but Paul's not there anymore, and there's outside influence, and some of it's even inside influence, Judaizers, as they're called, people who were raised Jewish who've come to faith in Christ, but they're not satisfied that the cross is enough. They're not satisfied that God's grace is truly enough. And so they've begun trying to add back to the cross things that Paul will one day say, anything you add to the cross becomes an enemy of the cross because the cross was enough. And so we come to this passage in Galatians chapter 4 where Paul begins in verse 8. And I hope you see just a sense of the Father's heart in Galatians. Let me read the passage beginning in verse 8 of Galatians 4. However... At that time, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those which by nature are no gods. But now that you've come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how is it that you turn back again to the weak and worthless elemental thing to which you desire to be enslaved all over again? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that perhaps I have labored, labored over you in vain. I beg of you, brethren, become as I am, for I have also become as you are. You've done me no wrong, but you know that it was because of a bodily illness that I preached the gospel to you the first time. And that which was a trial to you in my bodily condition, you did not despise or loathe, but you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. Where then is that sense of blessing you have? For I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your eyes and given them to me. So have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? They eagerly seek you, not commendably, but they wish to shut you out so that you will seek them. But it is good always to be eagerly sought in a commendable manner, and not only when I'm present with you, my children, with whom I again in labor until Christ is formed in you. But I wish to be present with you now and to exchange my tone, for I'm perplexed about you. You get the sense of a tender father's heart in what Paul's saying. Bottom line is this. The Galatian Christians had begun on a good road. The Galatian Christians had come to faith in Christ. They're walking with Christ. But outside influence is turning them. And they haven't fully turned and gone this way. They're children of God, but they're being sidetracked. The message is being changed. 
And so Paul's concerned. And so one thing I want you to hear from me today is this. If you're struggling with doubt, if you're struggling with, hey, I, I, I know I've become a Christian, but is that enough? Is, is there something else I'm supposed to do? Is Jesus enough? And am I seeing evidence of that in my life? If you've been kind of drifting, Jesus offers an, offers an opportunity to come home. There was a bumper sticker a few years ago that I laughed at, but it points out, it makes a point. It was a black bumper sticker with yellow letters that said, if you're on the wrong road, God allows you turns. And that sounds good until you're like me. I start thinking about stuff. And if you're on the wrong road and you make a U-turn, there's a problem. Because you're still on the wrong road. It should say if you're traveling in the wrong direction, God allows you turns. But if you're on I-95 and you're supposed to be on I-26, you can make all the U-turns you want. You're on the wrong road. You need to get off that road and get on the right road. Well, listen, the Galatian believers were on the right road. They had just been drifting a little bit, and a lot of it was caused by outside influence. And so Paul's writing to them from a distance. He's writing back this letter to the churches to say to them, Hey, turn back. Don't go that way. Go the other way. Paul says, Listen, there was a time that you did not know God, but you were slaves to other gods, which really weren't gods. They had no power. The gods that the Gentiles, the Galatian believers now, the gods they used to worship, were gods they fashioned out of their own hands. Or they were some god that had been passed down from generation to generation. They had never seen that God had no power. But they thought somehow, I'll serve that. And so he said, they're really not, not gods at all. There was a time when you didn't know God. But now you've come to know God. The word that he uses for know there, there's really a couple words in the Greek language. One means just to know, mental assent, to see. But another is a heart knowledge, an intimacy of, no, of knowing. He said the good thing is not only have you come to know God, but God has come to know you. And at face value, you can step back and say, well, wait a minute. God already knew me. Yes. But this is that intimacy of relationship where you come into faith with God, faith in Christ. You're now part of the family of God. He knows you. I'll give you an example from Matthew chapter 7 where Jesus talks about the fact there's going to be people come at the end of time and say, but, but we cast out demons in your names. We did this. We did that. We knew you. And he's going to say, depart from me for I never knew you. You've got to understand, God's all-knowing. Certainly he knows, but there wasn't an intimacy of relationship. Why? Because they had never come in faith. To Jesus Christ. What a horrible condition to be in to work all your life thinking I'm serving God when the truth is you weren't serving God. You were serving yourself or serving false gods or just being religious. So Paul says, listen, that's not the case with you. You came to know God. You used to serve idols, but now you serve the living God and you know Him and He knows it. If that's the truth, then why is it that you've turned back? Does that remind you of anything in Scripture? As I was studying that this week, it reminded me of the children of Israel coming out of Egypt. 400 years of bondage. They were slaves in Egypt. Pharaoh had total control over them. He beat them. 
He put them in horrible conditions, forced them into labor to build his kingdom. They leave Egypt, and they're not gone very long before what do they start doing? Complaining, grumbling, and saying, we had it better back there. We wish we were back there. Are you crazy? God's delivering you from a tyrant. God's delivering you from a godless leader in a godless country. He's taking you to a land of promise that he's, he's promised your people before you. It's going to be a land flowing with milk and honey. And yet it took 40 years to get there, but that wasn't God's fault. That was the fault of these whiners and complainers. And I think Paul's kind of in that same frame of mind. How could you possibly want to go back to that? Now think about the generation we live in. It's kind of hard to point out false gods because most of you don't have a little statue at home of something you pray to or bow down to. So what are our idols? What are things that would take our attention away from worshiping the true God and give that worship to something or someone else? Well, it could just be possessions. It could be things you just desire more than anything else. And folks, we live in that kind of world where those possessions are everywhere. They become, can become all-consuming mentally. That that's just You become so singularly focused on that that, yes, even though you're a Christian, you can get sidetracked by the pursuit of the things of this world, maybe even people, maybe somebody you want to date or somebody you want to marry or somebody you just want to feel good about you. You want their approval. What are the idols that could become athwart to your walk with Christ? What are you a slave to? Paul says, how is it you would turn back to the weak and worthless elementary thing? Literally things that are powerless, that are worthless. Literally the word means a beggar, indigent, crying out for somebody to help them. He says, you're serving those things that have no power. And you've walked away from serving God or you're in the process of that. You've even started observing days and months and seasons and years. That was the Jewish system. That's what the Judaizers from the outside said. Okay, yeah, you're a Christian, but you need to start taking part in these feasts and these fasts and these celebrations. Some of them were good, but if they became to you an idol or if they became to you something, I got to do that to be all right with God. What Paul's saying is, no, you missed the point. You're right with God for one reason, faith in Jesus Christ. You've placed your faith in a Christ who died for you on the cross. Don't add to that the things of this world that are worthless. Things like observing days and months and seasons, times of prayer and fasting. And then Paul says, I fear for you. Now keep in mind, he's a, he's a parent of these spiritual children who's not there. He's hearing secondhand what's going on, and it caused him to be afraid. His fear is that maybe I labored over you in vain. The word vain means empty. Paul says, I fear that perhaps all that I put into this effort and all the fruit that we apparently saw, my, my fear is that that's going to be empty because of this outside influence that's trying to push you away. Now, that's why Paul writes the letter. Keep in mind, they didn't have email or text message back then. This wasn't instantaneous. It took a little while for the word to get to Paul. Paul writes the letter. It takes a little while for that to get back. And his concern is, I just want to see my children grow up in the faith, in the way they started. And so Paul says, I'm afraid that maybe 
It was all in vain. They were headed the wrong way. I thought about that. What, what causes that to happen? What causes us to get off the path? Sometimes it's misinformation. I mean, physically, if somebody gives you directions to go somewhere and you say, I need to get from point A to point B, and they're giving you directions to point B, what if they don't know where point B is and they give you the wrong information? Are you going to get there? No. Have you ever set your GPS to take you somewhere and it didn't get you where you wanted to go? I was traveling on the other side of Georgetown to a high school basketball game one time, and I put in the GPS coordinates, and I'm on the highway. If I had turned where the GPS told me to turn, I would have gone through the woods into a pond. I guess like a thousand years ago, there was a road <laughs> that Garmin knew about. So you've got to be careful with the directions, even the GPS that you're thinking, I'm, I'm going to follow this. It may lead you off into a pasture somewhere. So misinformation. The other thing is just lack of confidence or doubt. Have you ever doubted your salvation? Don't raise your hand. Most people do, and so what do you do if that happens? Well, you come back to the truth, and that's what Paul's trying to remind them of, the truth. If you're getting misinformation, you're having Judaizers in your ear saying, we know what Paul said, but he's not here anymore. Have you noticed? And you really ought to add this, you really ought to do that. That misinformation starts creating doubt. Maybe it's not misinformation in your ear. Maybe it's just sometimes you, you allow the enemy, the devil, kind of get in your ear. And here's what the devil would love to say. God really doesn't love you. Have you watched your life lately? You're not worthy. <laughs> well, that's true. God didn't love you because you were worthy. Jesus didn't die on the cross because you were worthy. Why did he die on the cross? He died on the cross because you were unworthy and he loved you anyway. That's the good news. And if you ever sense somehow that you've drifted away from God, one thing I can say with absolute certainty is this. God didn't move. He didn't walk away from you. So what do you do? You come back. And that's what Paul wants to point out in the next point. And that is you can turn it around. This is good news. There's times in Scripture that I see a warning come to the people. And if I was running things, I might have the tendency to say, you know what? This third strike, you're out. You've had enough chance. I'm going to obliterate you off the face of the earth. Revelation chapter 2. Jesus is speaking to the church and he said, you've left your first love. You're doing religious stuff, but you've left your first love. What could he have said? I'm done with you. But you know what he said? He said something very loving. Repent and do the deeds you did at first. So men and women, young people, if you're here today and you're saying, you know what? I have kind of drifted. I've allowed doubt I've allowed misinformation. I've just allowed myself to kind of drift away from God. The good news is this. God allows you to turn around and come back to him. So Paul has already said, I fear for you. And then it gets real personal. He moves from the personal confrontation or impersonal confrontational to the personal. He says, I beg of you, brethren. Again, a term of endearment. Become as I am because I have become as you are. Do you catch the paradox of that? Here's what Paul's saying. Paul says, I grew up in the Jewish legal system. I kept the law studiously. 
Paul said in another place, he said, I was a Pharisee among Pharisees. You couldn't poke a hole in my resume. I was all that. He said, but I, I became as you. When I came to faith in Christ, I laid that aside, and I certainly laid aside any of my Jewish customs when I was ministering to you. Why? Because I didn't want anything to get in between me, you, and the gospel. I wanted you to know the truth and not assume that some of that was necessary for the gospel. So Paul says, I became as you were, without the law. But now you're doing the flip-flop. You're trying to become like I used to be. Paul said, I walked away from that because it didn't get me to God. It pointed out my need for a Savior, but it didn't get me there. It led me to come to a Savior who paid the penalty for my sin. And Paul says, the paradox is you're, you're kind of going back to what I left. So Paul says, I wish you would become as I am. And you've done me no wrong. This is interesting. He said, you know that it was because of a bodily illness that I came to you in the first place. When you look at this bodily illness... If you read five scholars, you'll get six opinions on what Paul's bodily illness was. The best explanation I can come up with is a lot of scholars believe he had a type of malaria. That he was in the low country, mosquito, humid, hot, got malaria. And it possibly did affect his eyes. But more than that, malaria will cause you to be jaundiced. You kind of turn this yellow shade. It can affect your eyes. It can affect your liver, other parts of your vital organs. And Paul said, I had to leave that environment and head north, get up into a higher elevation to get away from that and recuperate and recover. So he said, you know, it was that that led me to you in the first place to present the gospel. But here's the good news. Even in the midst of that, you didn't despise me. You didn't make utterly nothing of me. It would have been real easy for them to look at Paul and say, look at him. He's preaching a gospel and he's dying in front of us. More than that, you didn't loathe me. The word literally means to spit. That was a sign of contempt in those days. If you saw someone with leprosy or disease that you wanted to stay away from, you'd spit in their direction to basically say, stay away from me. I have contempt for you. They thought it would ward off evil spirits. And Paul says, when I came to you that first time, you received me. In fact... You received me like an angel from God or even Jesus Christ himself. Where then is that sense of blessing? What has changed? Paul's saying, you demonstrated love towards me. What happened? In fact, he said, let me give you an example. If it had been possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me if you thought that would help. Now, if that means Paul had an eye condition and they thought this will help him see better, or it was just a saying, an expression of the time, which there is evidence that that's exactly what it was to say, I love you enough that I will give you the most precious thing I have. I'll take my eyes out and give them to you. Paul said, if that had been possible, you would have done that. And Paul's saying, so what happened? What happened to that blessing? What happened to how you felt about me at that time? Have I now become an enemy? Because I'm telling you the truth. Here's what's happening. The Judaizers are in their ears, and they're present. They're there. Paul's not. And so every time they say, yeah, but Paul said, they're saying, Paul's not here. Paul doesn't love you. Every time Paul talks to you, he's telling you things you need to do different. <laughs> and Paul said, no, I've told you the truth. And because I've told you the truth, they've tried to convince you that I'm your enemy. 
Let, let me just say something. There, there's an Old Testament passage that said, better are the wounds of a friend than the kisses of an enemy. But be careful with people who only speak well of you. It may be that you're just that good of a person, but it also may be they got an agenda. So be careful. So Paul says, have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? What's happened is the Judaizers are wanting to, to turn them, and you're going to see that in the next little bit, to become followers of them instead of followers of Paul. So let me close with the last point. I just called it fatherly advice. 17 and following. Paul says they eagerly seek you but not commendably. Literally, they court you. It's like a man courting a woman that he ultimately wants to marry. They are showing signs of interest in you for bad motives. It's not commendably. It's not right. It's not becomingly. They want to shut you out or lock you up. They want to isolate you. That's what happens with cults. I don't know if you've ever studied cults, if you've been around them very much. I, I have in my life. One of the first encounters I had with a cult was my freshman year in college, walking into the dining hall. This pretty young girl walks up and pins a flag on me. I didn't know what she was doing it for, but they were, ask, they were asking for money. My roommate, she starts pinning one on him. We finally said, what are you doing? She said, I'm pinning a flag on all the good-looking guys. So I started taking mine off. I said, well, if he qualifies, I don't want to be in this club. They were raising money by selling this for their cult. The other thing they would do is they would come door-to-door -door in our dorms selling Girl Scout cookies. Back then, Girl Scout cookies cost like, I don't know, $2. They were selling for 6 So they were going to a Girl Scout, buying up all their supply, and then going door-to-door -door through the dormitory selling them for more money. And, and there were guys dumb enough to just, i got to have my Thin Mints. And they're here at the door. Where's my money? Isn't that amazing? I've seen them selling flowers. And here's what they do. The cults bring people in, indoctrinate them, isolate them from family and friends, and keep them so busy and tired, they don't have the time to think about, why am I doing this? Well, that's what the Judaizers were trying to do back then. They were trying to isolate these new Christians from their father. Their earthly father, Paul, but ultimately even their heavenly father, God. Paul said, this isn't commendable. They want to shut you out so that you will seek them. They don't want to hear about Paul anymore. They want you to turn from Paul and his teaching and become loyal followers of them. And then Paul, in the most intimate word he uses so far in the whole letter, my children, literally my sons and my daughters, We've seen a little bit of anger from Paul. We've seen confusion. We've seen that he's upset at what's going on. But his tender heart for the people that he's writing to is this. You're like my little children. In fact, he gets real specific with a birth illustration. He said, I'm in labor again over you. The, the, what he's saying is, you're like children who just refuse to be born. I've watched my wife deliver four children. Labor is painful. But as soon as the child is born, you forget about it. Because the child's now in your arms. And Paul said, I've already experienced that with you, but you're putting me through that kind of thing again. 
I doubt there's a lady in here who after that labor happens and you're holding the child and you're starting to think, you know, they had to give me medicine or maybe I did this without any medicine. And if the doctor came in and said, well, how would you like to do that again right away? Probably not going to happen. Now, you may have other children. But Paul's saying, I'm, I, it's like I'm going through that pain of labor again over you. And yet that's how much Paul loved these children. He said, I'm in labor until Christ is formed in you. Literally to fashion as Jesus or give shape to you so that you look more and more like Christ. That's the point now. Once you come to faith in Christ, God has begun a work in you that he promises to bring to completion. And that is, you're going to look more like Christ. And Paul's saying right now, you're not looking that way. So turn back. Get back with the program. Get on the right path. Because the process that God began, he will complete. In fact, he said, I, I wish I could be with you. Paul said, I wish I could be face-to-face with you so that I could change my tone. <laughs> because the tone of the letter is a little angry. The tone of the letter is so pointed. And isn't it a little different hearing somebody face-to-face to kind of catch the emotion in their voice? When you read an email sometimes, you're not sure what... The emotion is behind it. You're not really sure what the tone is. Sometimes it can confuse you. And that's true in a letter from Paul that is now being read among the churches of the area that was written weeks before, if not months before. Paul said, I look forward to the day that I can be face-to-face so that I can change the tone because I want to have a tone of a father who loves his children. But the bottom line is, I'm just perplexed. What's Paul saying? He's literally saying, I'm at my wit's end. I'm struggling to understand how you could go from following Christ to following something that is so empty and powerless and will not lead to life. So let me ask you as we close, do you ever find yourself there? Do you ever find yourself off the path, sensing distance between you and God, You start doubting, do I really know God? So what do you do? You come back to the truth. You come back to the gospel. Romans 10, 9 and 10, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. You don't have to go through life hoping so. You can know for sure. John, writing 1 John in chapter 5, says, I've written these things to you little children so that you may know You have eternal life. Our enemy, the devil, would love to do nothing more. If you're a child of God, he can't take that away from you, but he'd love to come in and make you doubt it, take away your joy. And so Paul would say the same thing to you, saying to the Galatians, come back to where you were at the beginning. Come back to where Jesus is enough, and you will follow him faithfully. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for that truth. Father, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, God, I thank you that you offer eternal life through Jesus Christ. You allow us to turn to a Savior by simply saying, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner in need of forgiveness, in need of a Savior. And so I'm going to follow Christ. I'm going to ask him to forgive me of my sins. Take up residence in my life through the person of the Holy Spirit. 
and lead me in this life that he's called me to. God, if there's anyone here who's done that, and yet today they come in this place, just feel like they've been drifting lately. They're kind of wandering, feel like they're in a wilderness. The, the well is dry. They need times of refreshing. God, I pray that today would be a day they simply turn back to you. And thank you that you welcome us with open arms. You offer us opportunities to repent and return. And so, God, remind us this week of the truth that you love us, that you proved it on the cross by dying for us even while we were sinners. Thank you for that in Christ's name.